Hello, this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I want to welcome you to my podcast today. I'm so excited you're here. I really am. <laughs> and on my podcast, I talk about all things related to sex, sexuality, sexual health, erotica. I read mine and others. I do interviews of people who are erotica authors and other people and somehow related to something to do with sex. So that brings me to say, if you're under 18, it's time to leave the podcast now. This is not for you. But for the rest of us, oh, hell yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Let's go. For all of us who are 18 and over, thank you for following by the rules. Now, today, I have a very special guest. I am so excited you guys are all here today because we have a very, very exciting guest today. I am so excited to talk with him. His name is Christian Red, and he runs Bondage Tuition, which is about rope bondage education. He is a full-time rigger based in the Nottingham area in the UK. And, you know, I have seen many ties and I really think they're beautiful. They're really quite beautiful. A true art form that obviously takes a lot of practice and large amounts of time. And having someone show you how to do that properly, safely, that's huge. And that is so important and also very fun for people who are into that. Welcome, Christian. Hey, nice to meet, nice to meet you. I'm excited to meet you. <laughs> I love your accent. Oh, thank you. Am I the first bondage <laughs> enthusiast you've spoken to? You are. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. Yeah. So this is why it's really cool. I'm really excited. And I am going to put all of your links in in the podcast notes. And so on Twitter, your bondage tuition, correct? That's right. Okay. So I have a bunch of questions for you and some of them I came up with and some are from fans, followers, and friends. Fantastic. So why don't you start us off and tell us what you do and the services you offer? Okay. So pre-pandemic, I made my living teaching people how to tie up their partner one-to-one. And I also did a little bit of porn. So I'd tie people up for videos and sometimes I'd top them in videos. So I'd be their, their dominant. And also things like people had, when they were doing artistic photography, as you mentioned, like rope can look incredibly beautiful. Do things like suspend people for photographs, which were meant to go in art galleries, not meant to be salacious. So I feel like I've done things with rope on the salacious and non-salacious side. And then when the pandemic hit, obviously that meant meeting up with people one-to-one was quite hard. So I started the YouTube channel as a way of, I think I was really worried. It wasn't so much a financial thing. It was more of, I really like talking to the community and love helping people along on their journey. So I didn't want to lose that element myself. And so... I thought I'd just take take a plunge and start making videos online. I think that's really great. That has to have opened more exposure, right? Yeah, absolutely. And people talk to you about things that you would never expect as well, which is it's a real it's a real privilege that people open up to you and 
you share so much. I think because the channel itself, like we, I made promise to myself that when I talk to people like yourself, Rue, and when I make videos online, I will only ever tell the truth. I'll never skirt around difficult topics, even if it makes me like a bit of an arsehole or if it, you know, is if it's if it's a little bit difficult. And I think by doing that, it kind of encourages that in other people, and so you get that privilege of people opening up about things which they, they might find difficult talking about. Yeah, because for and, some people, things like wanting to be tied up is very shameful. Right. There's that stigma for sure. Yeah. Especially for people that are maybe not into kinky things, they might just think that's kind of like freaky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like people who identify as say feminists who are they take how the how the world views them as very important that they're yeah. seen as strong, etc. If they have desires to be tied up. That can be quite a lot. That can be a, a big contradiction to get over for some people. Yeah, I totally can see that. How did you get into this in the first place? And at what point did you realize that this could be a business? Oh, well, okay. So I'm 37 now. I have been practicing kinky things since I was 18 years old. And the whole time I've been kind of aware of rope. That kind of interest has grown me over time. I started doing this as a job. I had a normal job. I was a, I was like a concept training designer working for big firms and helped start a company. And that company ended up getting bought by another company, which sort of put me out of a job. And as I was learning more and more about rope, I was getting asked to teach more and more places. I was getting more and more people saying, can we come and learn how to spend my partner? Or can we get you to like this country to teach? It kind of became a natural, it was... As I was getting more and more offers to do that, I lost my vanilla job. And that meant it was kind of this seamless transition from one to the other. I think that's fascinating. So it's, it really was pretty much organic and people asking you, hey, can you help us or we want to learn more about this? Yeah, absolutely. Because my, with my vanilla job, I was used to dealing with subjects and topics I knew very little about, if I'm honest, like, like some crazy things like like incredibly bizarrely niche things like how, how how the machines in the bank work, like things that I never even would have thought about. You have to kind of pick up these things and teach them to other people. And uh-huh. so I think with when I got into rope, I was like, this was really hard to learn. I found this incredibly difficult to learn. And I kind of had this desire to make that a little bit easier for people. That's awesome. I love that. That's very cool. Now, when I look, I think it was on your Twitter, I saw two words and I need definitions for these because I have no idea. Okay. So you have Shibari and Kinbaku? What okay. do those mean? Okay. So are you aware that in Japan, there is a tradition of practicing, they have tying up partners and it's yep. uh, quite a bigger, pop, bigger part of popular culture, not part of popular culture, sorry, it's a big part of their culture, dark side of their culture. I think the sure. thing I would compare it to would be, say, in, in England, we have this kind of um, dark side culture being caned and being spanked and that being mm. kind of sexualized. Yes, yes, definitely. And that's a big part of like our, our sort of parents' generation because that's how they grew up. And so a fair few of them ended up like fetishizing that and that's still quite popular in England today. Mm, yeah. In Japan, there's a huge culture, sorry, a huge history of using rope for punishment. So you might have been bound and then um, exhibited around the town before you were executed, uh, which is obviously incredibly dark. 
But right. as we know, people sometimes take these dark things and they become very potent fantasies. So these kind of images of people being bound in legitimate torture positions became co-opted for pornography and became very popular in Japan. Popular as in like underground popular, not like mainstream popular. Sure. And so a definition for tying is shibari. So we, because a lot of us learned our techniques from Japan, we still use the term shibari as, a, as like a little tip of the hat to where we got it from. Got it. Yeah, kimbaku is referring to tying someone with more feeling behind it. So it's less of a focus on the knots, less of a focus on the binding, but as much focus on the the mental and physical side of it, the caressing nature of it, perhaps the aggressive nature of it in some cases. Okay. Got it. So one is just more historical reference and the other one is actually more connected to emotions and connections between people. But they're both yeah. essentially the same thing. That's right. Obviously, you've got a problem of your, we're taking languages across, uh, across borders here and context is everything. But it's effectively, I just thought a little way of saying we didn't invent 90% of what we do. So we're mm-hmm. just like nodding a little cap to the people who came up with this stuff. Sure, sure. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about doms and subs and switches and all that with bondage. How would you define each of those, a sub, a dom, and a switch? So it's really interesting because people use the rope for lots of different reasons. For some people, they just want to tie the partner up and have sex. They want want that additional additional fun. For some people, they have a... Uh, they're in a what they identify as a dominant submissive relationship where one person is submissive to the other. And naturally, the rope kind of plays into that because you can say, well, I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to put you where I want you and you're going to be there to be looked at. Crosses like these kind of uh, mental borders quite well because some people, you know, you looked at rope pictures and you said, that looks incredibly beautiful. The interest to know if you looked at any of them and thought, you know, I'd feel really hot in that position. I'd feel really sexy. Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, there are so many I've seen and I've, I've seen some of yours and I've seen them in other places and they're really kind of amazing. Some of them are very involved and they, it's interesting how some are just parts of the body and others are like an entire body. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I tend to find is that people's reasons for wanting to be tied up are very different. So some people, it's a case of they just want to feel like they're being objectified. Some people want to feel like they, you know, quote unquote, don't have a choice. Right. Yeah. Some people. Kind of consensual, non-consensual, consensual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because there's something about the whole story of like someone finds you so attractive that they don't really mind if you say no. Right. And that's, that's incredibly dark. It's also very potent, so it tends to come up in people's sex lives quite often, I find. Yeah, I mean, it's a role play, you know, and, you know, if it's not a role play, then something else. But (laughs) if it's talked about ahead of time and it's role play, then that can be very hard for people. Would you describe a good rope scene in your point of view? Sure. So I guess, like, things that I would need in that would be clear communication, so... We just mentioned like some people view this as a very sexual thing and that sexual element needs penetration. For some people, they just tied up, get tied up and they feel happy in the pants. For some people, it's more a kind of an asexual, quiet, meditative process where they just kind of go into themselves. 
I'd really like before I tie someone to get some idea of like where they think they're coming at it from. Sometimes you can get little surprises of like, oh, I just view this as like a, a nice physical sensation. But then when you tie them, they're like, you can see their hips are shaking and like sometimes even have an orgasm and they're bound without being touched intimately. But I would like to start from knowing the person feels open to communicate with me and sort of knows why they're doing this in their head and what their expectations are. Sure. Then I want to know physically what's going on with them. So do they have any injuries? Any medical conditions I need to know about? I want to get a sense of, like, if I could possibly hurt them during a scene in a, in a way that they enjoy, but I don't want to be damaging anything. I don't want them to be walking away with any kind of any kind of injuries after this. I just want to know how I can keep them safe throughout. Sure. Then when the scene starts, it's about forgetting everything that happened before that and just being completely present in the moment. You know what this person wants, you know what you want, and you can relax and you can respond to them and you can read them and really enjoy that the kind of that physical sensation of binding them and their reactions and taking that in and seeing where that takes you. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Very, very interesting. So what makes a good rope versus a bad rope? I mean, you can go to the local hardware store and pick up a rope. I'm assuming you need special ropes. Yeah, people have co-opted a lot of different ropes to bondage, but things to look out for. If you want to get something from a hardware store, um, put the rope in your hands and just run it through your hands and then run it through your hands a little bit quicker because that will tell you, like, does it burn your hands when you rub it through? Because if it's going to burn your hands when you're pulling it through your hands, when you put it on your partner's skin and they move, you can end up, like, burning their skin, for mm, example. Yeah. Also things like how flexible and pliant is the rope because – it might feel like you're you're like tying up a boat or something if it's like really stiff, thick rope and it's not going to like fit the contours of your partner's body. It's going to just sit on top of them like it's like, yeah, like they're like a barge on the dock or something like that. What you want is nice, flexible rope, which is going to go around the curves. It's going to sit on the skin nicely. And then also because a lot of the stuff which you can get from a hardware store is kind of has a funky smell to it. It's just, mm. it's just put it that way. Yeah, not, sure. Yeah, it's not It's not made to go next to people's noses, right? So <laughs> getting specialist rope means that it is made with, like, your partner in mind, and so it's going to feel like it's going to smell a lot nicer. Sure, yeah. Totally related. It makes me think of is that there's two different kinds of lace and lingerie, one that hurts like a motherfucker and one that is yeah. so soft. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. want the soft one. <laughs> yeah. That's just what came to my mind. <laughs> that totally yeah. makes sense. And I've seen online, you know, different people bringing up different types of ropes. One question from someone who was a friend of mine wanted me to ask you is what kind of rope do you use for rigging and why? Sure. So 90% of the time I'll use jute and that is the rope that I tie on the body. So how do you spell that? J-U-T-E. Oh, got it. Yes. So that is beautifully soft, natural fiber rope, which it's nice and light. So it moves really quickly. I don't, not sure if you've seen me tie, but I quite like, I like the idea that I can go as slow as I want, but I like the idea that I can go as fast as I want. Hmm. So, 
with having rope, which is really, really light, it means I can I can have someone tied up and in the air in like a couple of minutes, no problem. But I can obviously slow it down as I need to. So jute means that I can I can pick up the pace and go in really quickly. But the problem with jute is it's not the most strong. It's not the strongest material in the world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time when I'm suspending someone, the nice soft fast pliant rope goes on the body and i use a stronger rope a synthetic rope like endure or something like that and that will be the, the rope which holds the person in the air so i don't need to have any worries about that's gonna that's gonna break or anything like that oh so you'd use different kinds of rope for different purposes in that situation okay yeah people smarter than me have found rope which they look almost the same but they behave completely differently. Huh. So when you, when you look at it in the picture, it looks like it's all just one type of rope, but it's two different types of rope. Very smart. I love how they have different colors. I'm being girly here. I love how yeah. they have different colors. <laughs> Super curious. Have you been tied up much? No, I've only done handcuffs. That's as far as I've gone. I've never, This is one question I have, and this has told me, actually, I do find it very sexy, the thought of it. However, I am highly claustrophobic. Now, oh, okay. someone who is claustrophobic like me, would I like completely freak out? What's your um, experience with that? Interesting story. I was tying up a lady on Sunday, so a couple of days back. She suffers from massive amounts of claustrophobia. She loves being tied up. Really? Yeah. Oxymoron. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm really bad. I have gotten so bad with my claustrophobia that I do not like to go underwater. Mm-hmm. I don't like to put my head underwater. I mean, that's oh. extreme. And I used to swim all the time. I do swim all the time. And I go underwater all the time. And now I feel like I'm claustrophobic when I go underwater, which is totally silly and dumb. <laughs> no, it's not dumb. It's just what your brain's doing. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Really curious, though, is like, how do you feel when you're underneath someone? I feel fine. If I can't breathe, I might start to panic. Like, something's heavy crushing me, then I might start to feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm trying to panic. But otherwise, I'm fine with that. It's just my breathing is impacted. So I don't know how that plays in. Yeah, how does that play in with rope? Is breathing impacted usually or no? Oh, oh yeah, very much so. Oh, I might panic. (laughs) (laughs) So what we do is, is if I was going to tie you up, say, I would make you as relaxed as possible and then put a rope on you and let you adapt to that one rope. So you know that that rope can come off as quickly as you like. Even if you, you have a panic, a pair of scissors come out, snip, it comes off. Got it. Making you aware that you can breathe from lots of different places. You can, you can breathe from your chest and expand that that way. You can breathe from your tummy and expand out that way. You can even breathe from your back a little bit. So there's all these places you can take air in and feel like you can breathe and be calm. And then if you were calm in that position, then we add another rope and see how you felt. With everything, it's like just giving you that time and space that you can come out if you need to. Because I was, um, to be honest with you, like this weekend, I was absolutely thrilled. I was like on a high because know how hard my friend finds it to be tied up ah. i suspended put the put the pictures on twitter in a few days but she was suspended from the ceiling she was incredibly happy she was so chilled out so relaxed huh. and i think it's because we just took that time like there's no rush and i i always love being the moment with her you know that thing of just 
helping someone get over those humps a little bit by yeah. little. So yeah, I think it will be challenging for you, but I think it's not impossible. And in doing that, I can see that there is a giant potential for intimacy building. Oh yeah, hugely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, putting so much trust in someone's hands, like very grateful that people let me do this sort of stuff to them. It's it's a huge privilege, if I'm honest with you. Because person in the rope is so vulnerable and they're relying on me to read them on such a small level especially when people then you've seen it yourself sometimes when people are tied up or sometimes when people are even being spanked and things like that they'll go into themselves so they'll like almost stop taking in as much information from the outside world and it becomes like an internal process the fact that people can trust you when when they're in that position is it's a huge compliment to be honest so i feel really grateful Absolutely. The other thing I'm noticing as we talk about this is it's highly individual and it's very respectful and it's very non-shaming. Like you are who you are and you're accepting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I was, when I was listening to you earlier, I was editing a video with a gentleman called Vincent and who, who let me tie him up on video and we were having a discussion about it. And we were saying like he's this incredibly masculine guy. He's incredibly strong. He's really tall. He's he's well over six foot, loads of muscles, loads of tattoos, but he loves being tied up, loves it. And you can see he goes into a very submissive headspace when he gets tied up. And it's so important. You can be one, you, we're not one person all the time. We're yeah. loads, there's loads of different sides to us and all of our sides are important. So you can be, doesn't mean that you're, you're a submissive or a weak person because you like being tied up. It doesn't mean you're a bully because you like tying people up. You can have all these different facets and they're fantastic to explore. And that's the fun of it to me. Yeah. I think if you have communication and mutual respect, there is no reason to label people with those types of words. Absolutely. Which is why I'm not a huge fan of labels, to be honest. Like um, if, if I had my way, if I was like president of kink, I would just get rid of all the labels like doms, that sort of thing, because I prefer not to use them because it doesn't affect how I approach you. All I'm interested in is like, what's your experience like? What are you interested in exploring? Are you interested in exploring that with me? I'm more than happy to demean someone and degrade them in a scene. But my feelings on that don't carry over onto them as a person. Sure. I think that are worldwide there's a lot of stigma people take labels the wrong way and that's part of what's bad about them is they may take those words and they'll bring them in the total wrong direction and maybe even apply it the wrong way yeah absolutely i mean you probably saw like from the only fans stuff that kicked off recently how the sort of language that people use around sex workers mm-hmm. and it's absolutely hor- horrendous that people can have so much judgment about such a large number of people who are so dived to you know, many work really, really hard and are very skilled individuals. It's ridiculous to me that so many people can get vilified just over a label. Yes. Oh, any fans. It's horrible. It is. It is. What I find disturbing in my country, in the United States, is how murder and all these like really severe criminal things widespread and they're okay and they're all over the place. And yet, and you bring in sex and people are just like, <gasps> 
oh, you can't talk about that. And yeah. the sex becomes taboo. I'm like, wait a minute, this is a natural act. What are yeah. we doing? This is stupid. <laughs> I can go to the cinema and watch people get shot. And I can go even watch films about genocide. And like, we can even make a... We can even make creative scenarios where even more people get shot, like zombie films where, you know, we're just dying to watch people get killed or massacred. But sex, which harms no one, which is healthy and it's a beautiful part of life, is um, is considered to be the problem. Yeah, it's all messed up and backwards. And I don't know how we got like this, but it's just wrong. I agree. Yeah. Well, I have another question I do want to ask you. Uh- being someone who's never been tied up and for people out there who never have been, but are curious about it. Could you describe some common sensations or emotions that people report to be feeling when they're being tied up or also even as the person doing the tie? I know you've touched on it a little bit, but is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Oh yeah. I love talking about this. A lot of the time what I like to do is if I go somewhere to teach class, sometimes I'll put a notepad in the corner of the room and say to people, if you get a minute, can you go over there and just write down what you get out of being tied up or what you get out of tying people up? Feedback you get is absolutely fascinating. So it tends to come in, in the form of things like, I like to feel like I'm being disciplined. Uh, it might be, I like to feel like I'm being objectified. I like to feel like I don't have a choice in what's happening. I, I love the feeling of uh, overwhelming, almost like I'm getting a hug. Like it's uh, just so many hands all holding me all at the same time. I like the idea of being exposed and starting off fully clothed and being having those clothes removed when I'm bound and then having like my identity almost like torn away and I've just become a sexual object. And some people like the physical challenge of it because like hanging from the ceiling can be very physically challenging for people. And there's something about the... Um, Going, being able to go through that and the endorphins of it are hugely powerful for people. Absolutely, they are. This is what we all want, those endorphins, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a question for you, actually, if you don't mind. Go right ahead, anytime. <laughs> Whenever I get asked to be a guest on something, I always ask, like, what is the question I usually get asked is, is bondage about sex? And so the question I usually put back to the person is, what is sex to you? And disappointingly, you haven't asked me the question. So I just wanted to know, like, from your perspective, obviously you've spoken to lots of people, you're very knowledgeable in this area. What is sex to you? Sex to me? Yeah. Sex to me is mutual pleasure where both parties or multiple, there's more, more than two people involved, reach their highest point they can at that moment, highest sexual point and sexual pleasure at that moment being still also respective of each other. But I guess to me, it's more about person caring that I reach my climax and I care about them reaching their climax. Uh That is sex to me and as much pleasure as possible. (laughs) Wow. What a definition. Yeah, that feels very inclusive as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because sadly, so many people like to be intimate, but some people for whatever reason can't necessarily do penis and vagina sex or can't do penetration at all. Right. Including the thing about pleasure for me is a, is a really nice way of framing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like your definition, Rue. And I'm a, I'm a huge sex toy 
promoter and lover. I have quite a few of them. My companies ask me to review them all the time, which I absolutely love. And I just love the different sensations and trying them out differently. And I feel like some people are scared of sex toys, like they're scared of rope. But, you know, it's just about how it makes your body feel. And, and I think it's fascinating to how everyone's body reacts differently. Like, you know, some people are more, for women, are more stimulated by clitoral stimulation. Some are more G-spot. Some are different parts of the body. And yeah. sex toys can help people learn that. People who maybe women who've never had an orgasm, get a sex toy, for Pete's sake. Get a sex toy. And you will learn about your body. The more time you spend, you can learn. Maybe they don't know. Yeah. You know, some people don't know, which is really sad. Yeah. I think sometimes when you do a job like mine, maybe you've experienced this as well, is that you feel like, because you talk to people who are very liberated, you Mm -hmm. lose sight of the fact that some people really not. Like, for example, my partner was telling me the conversation in our staff room at work where one of them mentioned that they had a favorite brand of lube and they really Mm -hmm. like this new brand of lube because it really works for them. The other women in the staff room were saying, what, you you use lube? That's so freaky and weird. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. And this is just about lube. This is oh. like giving oh. the body a little helping hand, never mind all the other stuff. Wow, yeah, that's shocking. But I know people out there are like that. I know it's true. But yeah. you're an example like that, and it just really hits home, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I find it really funny because like, I talk to a lot of people about bondage because I'm quite open about what I do and I'm really happy to have these conversations with people who maybe don't know stuff about it, maybe even people who feel quite threatened or scared by it or a bit angry. I don't like having those conversations. But I think when you get a group of people, you can kind of see how people get pushed towards the loud or the more demonising opinions or the more stigmatising opinions like... Well, that's weird. Like, why would you need to use lube? Surely if like you're doing a good enough job, you should be producing your own lube, which is like such an ignorant way of looking at the world. But like yeah. as soon as in a group dynamic, you get these sort of like these loud, oversimplified opinions come up. You do see how people get pushed towards them. Yeah, that actually touches on one of my questions I had for you, which maybe I'll just ask it now. So in working with topics related to sex, we all often get these naysayers who cut us down or insult us or think it's freaky. What do you usually say to someone who says, this is not my thing or go as far as calling you a freak? Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, if someone's willing to talk to me about it, I kind of like to draw parallels to other people's lives. So fair enough. Like what I do might look like a bit of a freaky thing. I tie up people I find really attractive. Um, sometimes I even get tied up myself. That's, yeah, I can see why some people might respond to that. But if you look at it from another perspective, have you ever enjoyed like just holding your partner down just a little bit during sex? Do you always go as slow and as gently as you possibly can go? Or do you sometimes just go like a little bit harder just because you both like the feeling of it? Have you ever had an orgasm which is so good it actually kind of hurts a little bit? Yeah, you've got that kind of pain of just coming over and over again and like feeling kind of your legs shaking because it's it's getting difficult to take. Have you ever been like absolutely fascinated by when your partner puts a certain outfit on, like a certain material that they wear, like lace or like satin, and you just can't take your eyes off of it? All of these things are like a stone's throw away from the pleasure that people take from being tied up. 
Like they are, they're so close. It's unbelievable. But because of we maybe take it a little bit more seriously, or we like commit to it more, maybe not take it seriously, commit to it more. Let's say that kind of puts us in this category of being weird. But I would say that there's more overlap between I enjoy and what people enjoy than they'd like to admit. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. That is a fabulous explanation and very, very actually quite sensual. Thank you. <laughs> you, you made me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> okay, this one, this question is from a good friend of mine as well. Do you have any self-tie experience or knowledge to impart any info on this at all? Yeah, so when I was learning rope, like I'm really, I was really bad at learning rope. I was terrible. My brain just doesn't work in that way. So when I was learning, I had to practice on myself a lot, just get comfortable with it. So from from a huge you're a top and however you want to tie people up, practicing on yourself just like a few minutes a day is absolutely fantastic. I can't say I've ever taken a great deal of enjoyment from tying myself up in terms of I don't like treat myself to like a hand job or whatever, whilst I do it. Because for some reason it just doesn't just doesn't tickle me in that way. But if you are the, if you want to tie yourself up and, and enjoy the process, there's a couple of riggers who specialize in self tying. I want to say her name, but I know I'm going to butcher her name. So <laughs> I will send the link. But there's an author called Shay Tiziano, I believe. Okay. And she does these beautiful self tie self suspensions. 
and I can't say I've ever heard it talk about it from a sexual point of view, but in terms of like the the technique of binding yourself, I think you could go a lot worse than like checking out some of her stuff, her videos and her books. Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't even know that someone out there was putting content out there about that. That's that's interesting. Oh yeah. Strangely enough, I was married for a short period of time, and my wife's dad was ridiculously sexual, sexually open. He would talk about having annual sex over over dinner, for example. <laughs> yeah, like he had like no barriers there, there whatsoever. And he told us that he had all these techniques for like binding himself, where he would like. He would say, for example, use a use an, he would hide he would lock himself in chain and padlocks and then have a key and an ice cube in front of him so he'd have to wait till the ice melted to let himself out. And obviously that's incredibly dangerous because if the key fell in the wrong place or he had an emergency in the meantime. Yeah. But yeah, apparently he like read read all these different ways of self-binding from like these guides. Not any Shay's guides, but like um, other things that he found. So there's definitely a lot out there. That's very intriguing. I can see that like as a movie, like a movie scene, like, <laughs> like yeah. wow, that's intense. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Gerald's Game? Uh, no. Uh-uh. It's based on the Stephen King novel where a couple are like, one of them gets handcuffed to a bed and they're out they're having like a romantic weekend in the middle of nowhere. And he handcuffs his partner to the bed. And then he has a heart attack. Gosh. Yeah. Stephen King's obviously ends really badly. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, safety first, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least tell somebody where you're going so that someone knows where you are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because that can happen. I mean, that's a real situation. That could totally happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Luckily, we live in the era of voice activation on phones. So, right, exactly. That's so hopefully true. Hopefully, you gag yourself. Then, I think there was worry about that, which is that, like, if you're being tied up by your partner, what happens if something happens to your partner? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, like, I've had my knee blow out during a scene before. Oh. But luckily, I, I tied everything in a way that I didn't have to be mobile to be able to untie her. So, like, having a bit of knowledge about how to get people down with very little effort is is kind of important. That brings me to an interesting question. How physically strong do you need to be to be the one who's tying someone up or suspending them? If you're using correct technique, you don't have to be strong. Okay. Because it's all working on leverage and on mechanical advantage. Sure. Uh, So it's like um, if you... If there's a door in your room, if you look at the where the door handle is, if you push the door where the door handle is, it moves really easily. Yeah. If you push it where the hinge is, it's really difficult to close the door. Right. Um, so it's similar to this. We, we don't uh, we we make things easy for ourselves by using like mechanical advantage. It's physics. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like physics in college. I survived. That was not my favorite class. <laughs> Maybe if you were shown it in a more enjoyable way, like people yeah. would talk about. Maybe this right. <laughs> is more like let's how do you chuck a ball across with a I don't know, catapult or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not very sexy. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is my next question I have on my little handy dandy list. Do you have any 
tips. Oop, I skipped one. I guess start over. Ooh. Can you talk about safe words and hand sing- signals in a rope scene? Yeah. So what I use tends to depend on the type of scene I have. Usually anytime anyone says the word red, that means everything, they come down as quickly as possible. All the ropes come off. I get them safe. I get them a drink of water. I check what the problem is. A lot of the time in rope, like particularly like the more elaborate suspensions that you've seen, there can just be like a little problem. Like say, for example, like a rope can be pushing on the ankle in a painful point and therefore you don't have to stop everything. They just need to tell me, could you just look at my ankle and then I'll just move the, the rope a centimetre one way or the other and then it's fixed. And that tends to work really well for rope scenes because it tends to be quite specific feedback. If we're talking about things like um, like impact play, like say, for example, I've got someone over my knee and I'm giving them a spanking, um, then sometimes the colour scheme gets diversified. So like saying yellow or amber will mean that I'm spanking too hard and I just need to go a little bit easy. I don't really want to stop. They just want to ease off a little bit. That's what sometimes people use use different colours and green is, I'm loving this, please keep doing this. Got it. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we sometimes play with things like gags. Sometimes people don't like to talk during scenes. And so little hand signals, like, mm-hmm. for example, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Yeah. Can, mm-hmm. Some people can make that noise with their hand. Sure. Uh, some people just do, like, jazz hands. It's obviously going to draw, draw attention, so that can be a way of indicating there's a problem if there's, like, a gag or a lot of restraint involved. I just uh, had to try the hand clapping thing. I can't do it. My hands are oh too no. small. <laughs> My hands are too <laughs> small. <laughs> I make no sound when I use one hand to clap. <laughs> that, that would not be my signal. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, sorry. I had to say that. It was too funny not to say. <laughs> yeah. Can you make a noise by like just tapping your foot on the floor? Can I? Yeah. Just maybe something like that would work better. I probably could. Right now I'm on carpet, so that's not going to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And other nice signals are, like, say we're doing a scene and, you know, we talked about consensual and non-consent earlier. And sometimes that can have really strong reaction of almost like uh, tears, maybe like like a lot of adrenaline going through the body. Sure. And so it can be difficult to tell, like, when you're doing a scene like that, is the person okay? Is the person enjoying this? And it's not in character to say, like, hey, Rue, are you okay? Like, am I doing the right thing here? So instead what I might do is I might just grab your hand and squeeze your hand. And if you squeeze my hand back, then I know you're fine. Sure. And that's like a really subtle way of conveying that everything's all right. And that plays into feelings sometimes when you're so overwhelmed, it's too hard to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing that's really important is sometimes talking isn't the best form of, form of communication. Sure. Sometimes reading people, sometimes like those, those nonverbal cues can be way more effective than like a hundred words. Absolutely. Tends to be quite a lot of porn, actually. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah, because if it's like quite an extreme thing of like, you know, lady comes in, gets forced onto the floor, gets all the clothes stripped off, gets tied up, it, do- it doesn't really play into it to like come out of it. So having like the little hand squeezes every so often is a good way of knowing that everything's okay. That makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that makes me think of is that Sometimes we can just communicate with the look in our eyes, which actually is quite fascinating. It is fascinating. And you find, you ever think it's interesting that like 
these non-verbal skills are so important or can feel so important to like a good scene or a good sex or whatever, but these can also be really hard to teach. Yeah. In the real world, some people completely miss them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think we all have a different sensitivity to things like that. And so it can be hard for some people and some people are very aware that they're bad at it, which I think comes back to why it's important to acknowledge what your strengths are. And also some people are not good at displaying emotion as well. Mm. So like I think my favorite play with are by far people I can read as and I can look at their face and I can know where, I, where they are and I can feel yeah. their breathing and I know where they are. I can just like look at their toes and how they're moving and that, that gives me like a little indication of what they're experiencing. But That's highly not, fascinating. Yeah. You ever see that sometimes you know someone's about to like you know you say some someone like oh i'm gonna take that off you now and you just see the, the little toes turn inwards sure. and like the shake of the legs yeah i feel like whatever reason i've always liked to write I've always been very 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 in tune to how people react and what they do and it's something i've just kind of naturally done my entire life and i feel like it's helped me become a writer and i write poetry too but it's really interesting. I never thought about the fact that some people are really good at that and some people really suck, but it's true. Yeah. People are really terrible at that. And other people are like, can tell like with an instant looking at somebody what's going on. That's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. The same my advice is if, you, if you're playing with someone or, or whatever with someone, you find it hard to see where they are. Try to get a sense of like their breathing I just like look at their extremities, like what they're doing with their hands. That can often give you like a lot of information, which isn't always like, doesn't always have to be like a screaming orgasm. It can be like these like really subtle little things that tell you what they're doing. Yeah. It kind of seems like there's nothing too minor to pay attention yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something beautiful about being in the moment. Like I heard you talking about, sounds like you enjoy playing with women quite a lot. Do I? Yeah. I'm I'm bisexual, yeah. Uh-huh. Like I heard you interviewing someone and you were talking about like the process of getting someone off. Something about that kind of that being in the moment and perfectly concentrating on someone else's pleasure as well as your own. I found that really I found that quite high actually. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. That's definitely <laughs> that's very, very, very sexy, hot, sensual, you name it, steamy, all those kind of amazing words. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of talk around sex gets put around using someone and like what you personally get out of, which right. is cool. But there's also so much from like being in control of like someone else's pleasure. Like that's a huge thrill. Like knowing that you can just, just do that little change and you can have a huge reaction out of them. That's true. Especially when you're touching parts of the body that are highly reactive to very, yeah. very slight touch or a very strong touch. You know, it's just the range is just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a good, like edging session or something like that. Like, just teasing someone with the idea of touching their G spot and like just just touch it for a few seconds and take that away. Right. And knowing that that might be coming or yeah, that's a that's a, a thrill knowing that you you're in control of that. 
Yeah, the anticipation building and the desire, the seduction, all of that. I mean, there's, there's so many different things you can use to create such a situation. And it's just very mind boggling and just mind blowing to think about that kind of thing. And there's so many possibilities and there's all these different people in the world and we all react differently. So it's just like this big myriad of amazing, I don't know, sexualness. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. (laughs) Okay. So my next question is, do you have any tips for suspension and what are the risks associated with suspension? I guess like on the, on most extreme end is either a rope could break or you could lose a grip on, on a main line, which is the line, which is supporting the most of the body weight. And if that happened, theoretically, you could have fatality. It's obviously really concerning. Further down from that, have the possibility of nerve damage, which could mean that you could potentially lose use of your hands for up to six months a year, maybe. Oh, yeah, no, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, which is why I, I would advocate for, if you're interested, you don't need to learn everything in person, but those, there's certain little touchstones that advise someone who's experienced and someone who's had input from a medical professional learning from someone like that on those like key points like suspension and harness building for example so like if you're tying someone's hands behind the back like there's so much you can sadly there's a lot you can break on the human body when you start doing things like that so either seeing a medical professional about that who knows rope or someone who's learned from a medical professional who knows rope i think would help a lot Yeah, I mean, it's made me think of something about the multiple layers of possible damage, not only physical, potential for mental damage as well. Oh, God, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And on both sides, I mean, we talked differently about the amount of trust that's between partners. How Mm -hmm. does it feel that if you're the person who's been trusted and you go wrong and you end up hurting your partner, that's that on both sides, a huge amount of damage. Yes, absolutely. You don't want to. You don't want to create a trauma response in someone that nobody wants to do that. <laughs> no, absolutely. Talking more about suspension, I noticed when I was checking out your your website that you have all this like extra gear that can go with suspension, like bamboo and leg binders. And I have to ask, what the heck is a udu okay. momos? <laughs> Any noise? A lot, a lot. <laughs> So is there a specific word or is all the paraphernalia that I carry around with me? Yeah. Okay. So par- So I think like people disagree with me, but I think rope is actually quite low on the paraphernalia front, but apparently not because a lot of people think it's low. So you've got a choice as what you can suspend someone from. And sometimes we'll use something like a metal ring because it's nice and strong. And it also means that you tie off different body parts to metal ring, then the person will turn in a nice little circle once they're up there, which some people like. Then sometimes we'll hang a a piece of bamboo from like two different points of the ceiling. What that does is it means that it can't rotate. It's just going to stay there. So you want to position someone exactly how you want them and spread them out across a piece of bamboo. That, That gives you an opportunity for doing that. Very interesting. Yeah, so imagine, for example, you're stood up, you, you have your arms like out alongside you, and your arms are being bound to that bamboo. You kind of can't stand up, you can't, you can't sit down, 
your arms are kept in that position. It gives an opportunity because obviously rope's very flexible. Sometimes that's almost like too flexible. You want to have it so that you want like a nice solid fixed object, like a piece of bamboo. What's different about bamboo than other kinds of wood? It's very light. So it means that we can move it around without. So I could carry a, I could take a huge chunk of bamboo and I could just carry it upstairs if I need to carry it upstairs. And it's also very cheap, cheap, cheap to transport. Obviously, a piece of metal scaffolding, but I need some help to get around places. And it's so heavy. Walking into it, for example, is going to really hurt. If you walk into a piece of bamboo, it won't hurt. I speak from experience. <laughs> it's very interesting. I mean, yeah, you carry around like a big plank of oak and it can be like really super heavy. So <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Makes, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> okay my brain's weird okay (laughs) what's my next question oh yes what is what is the voodoo momos what is that oh the voodoo momo is it's a leg binder that you tie the leg to itself so you put your heel of your foot to your butt and then tie your leg into that position that's often referred to as a voodoo momo okay do you find that when someone's tied up that they cramp? I mean, is that a thing that happens or does the pressure of the rope not prevent that? Or what about leg cramps or muscle cramps? Oh, God, yeah. You can get cramping. Often like hydration as well can play into that. So like has the person had something to eat and drink that day? Like mm. Also like um, how much force they're putting in. Like this becomes a problem. Like if you're doing combining rope with say like orgasm play and you're like forcing them to like orgasm over and over again, it's not unusual that you can get a foot cramp because they're like pushing their foot down so much. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, being aware that can happen and making sure that you can, if you're having someone somewhere for a long period of time, making sure they can adjust into different positions to avoid cramping. Right. I mean, when I think about when I orgasm, I like lose control of my body and it's like doing its own damn thing. And you shake her. Go really rigid and I will shake oh really, really rigid in my feet and just really rigid. And I think about that and I think with my body pressing against the ropes, what would that feel like? Would that stop my orgasm? I don't uh-huh. know. Well, my partner is a shaker. She she really goes to town. And being tied up doesn't stop her from coming like that. Okay. She, she still comes very heavily. Interesting. Yeah. And she says the sensation of being bound kind of adds to it for her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to know your experiences, though, because obviously you're very used to, like, your own pleasure. It's interesting to know, like, does, like, being bound, some people, it causes them to focus on that more because, yeah. you know, like, you don't, you can't let all that energy out by, like, moving your arms and legs around. But I'm sure for some people it must have the opposite because there's always, like, variation. Yeah. Right. What about using blindfolds? Do people find that that is, I mean, I suppose probably individual, whether that increases pleasure or not? Yeah. Do you think sometimes there's something to be said for like, like the bondage itself, there's a case of when you remove someone's agency, they almost, okay, how do I put this? Let's say two people are having sex. I think sometimes there's like a bit of a dance in terms of like sharing pleasure, isn't there? So some person, you know, you're both like doing nice things to each other. When you take away one person's agency, so say they're tied up, say they're blindfolded, that's almost like saying 
no, we're going to do what I want. We're going to focus on you. And I think the blindfold enhances that. But it can also be a case of, you. in some cases, like you've lost your ability to make decisions now. Like you yeah. just get like, just have to like listen to your own pleasure. You just have to listen to like, like my hands are telling you. And I kind of, I love that kind of vulnerability. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then in that, you have to switch to a different way to assess them because you can no longer read their eyes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like this conversation now because like I can't see you, you can see me, we're having a good chat. But like when one of us goes quiet in between, it's like, what's she thinking? Is she like <laughs> know, horrified right? by what I just said? <laughs> I know there's like a piece missing. I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's kind of like when you text someone or email them totally take it out of context because you don't have anything else to have these words and you can take offense or, you know, think it's bad because you don't read anything about the person. I know it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I love doing things like blindfolding someone and saying, what do you want me to do to you? Yeah. And just seeing that look on their face of, should I just ask for it? And then if you ask for it, just like leave a little silence. Am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? Right. Yes. And, and I, I narrate audiobooks, erotic, a lot of erotic audiobooks. And when doing my editing, it's interesting because spacing between words in conversation or in a story matter in the same way communication between two people matters, spacing, the silence, the length of silence. And when I'm doing it and I'm reading and I'm editing and I'm like, oh, it just doesn't work. That space of silence is too long. That's too short. Now that doesn't work for me. It's just kind of like I feel it. And so when you say that, it's just really interesting to me that silence in itself is also a communication. Yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. Huh? Yeah. I think that's overlooked quite a lot. The most powerful thing you can do sometimes is nothing. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, or like the most powerful thing you can do is listen. Yes, absolutely. Now, is there anything else you would like to say about non-consensual activities? I just had that as a question next. So that's why, <laughs> no other reason, that's why I'm going there right now. Non-consensual activities. With rope or any sort of bondage. Oh, wow. I mean. It's um, an open question, I know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that. If you look on the rope scene, because, okay, how do I put this nicely? Like famously, it's had some very big personalities and you get people being able to do things which has been very impressive. That has led to some of those individuals being able to like push the envelope in terms of what they can get away with when they play with people. Sure. So because it's being viewed as like a privilege that this person is tying them because they're a big name rigger or something like that, then I think it starts to go to people's heads a little bit and they'll start to push things. Not unlike the Me Too stuff, I don't think. Like people mm-hmm. in that position of power, even though in terms of society, they're still part of like a subculture. Like in my view, power can, can improper up anywhere. Like as soon as you've got a subculture, you can you can start getting a power differential. And so sadly, because you've got these people who are really good at what they do, you've had a lot of people come out as like like a me too stuff, yeah. but like the rope world. I mean, I know that when I was learning that it wasn't usual to go to a class 
and the person teaching would like basically do the rope your girlfriend effectively and that's considered to be normal and that's obviously not right it's very messed up but right. i think because of its nature because some people have gotten these abilities which are considered to be extraordinary is encouraged also this kind of undercurrent of shitty behavior in some mm. circumstances right so, which is why like if you hear about the rope scene you often hear about oh this other big name rig has been named as like doing something non-consensual which is kind of which i think is horrible because as, as i'm sure you're aware non-consensual fantasies are hugely prevalent like they're really really common and so they also come up in rope quite a lot and some people are, like talk down on them quite a lot consider it to be a bit gross a bit disgusting but to me like you get to choose what your fantasies are right and it's not hurting anyone and right. so properly like acknowledging it as, as a valid thing and something that you don't have to be ashamed of is hugely important absolutely and, yeah and knowing how to kind of explore that and enhance that as a top is really interesting to me oh absolutely it's all about communication that's one of the first things you said right yeah absolutely hugely important really underrated good boundaries as well are hugely important because I think what happens is, say say people want to be tied up, I think sometimes people are so keen to experience that they forget to properly put boundaries around what they're okay to not experience, what they're not okay with experiencing. Oh, sure. I've seen so many examples where people having strong boundaries saves them from a lot of problems. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like That's... if people aren't talking over you and not listening to you when you're having a negotiation that gives you a little bit of a hint about how much they're going to be listening to you when they're actually tying you up. That's true. I saw on your website that you also include martial arts into some of what you do. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, I've been on the kink scene for quite a while Been studying martial arts when I was very little. And I, I never thought because I'd only ever been like rolling around with sweaty dudes on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought, well, this is going to like apply really well to like a kinky scene because I never thought that whatsoever until I went to university and I started, basically, I, I was absolutely horrendous with women, awful, absolutely awful up until when I went to university. And I was very, very grateful of the help when people pointed <laughs> out how bad I was with women. And I did a course where there was a lot of women on there. And because I clearly didn't know my ass from my elbow when it came to that, um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time just talking to people about their experiences. And when I was interviewing people, because I, I set up this thing where like anyone can come and talk to me about anything related to sex, come and have mm. a chat. And getting all these really interesting stories about people saying that they had, they had these kind of non-consensual fantasies. And I was like, this completely shocked me, to be honest time as like a young man and then it became and someone else pointed, pointed out to me it's like well you've been like picking people up and throwing them on the floor most of your like life you've been like control physically controlling people and manipulating them can you not take some of that and put it in a, a safer kink context so that people who have say arrest fantasies or like 
non-consensual fantasies, they can do that in a way which is safer. And so what I started to do was take these quite dangerous techniques, start to modify them so they were safe, so that people could do them in their own home without worrying about like breaking the furniture or like going through a wall or something like that. And then I started teaching it in workshops. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So this is one of the things you do when you're doing a workshop or a training session. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how you can use your body in a way of restricting the movements of other people without using a lot of force. Sure. I kind of equate it to like, do you do a lot of cooking? Me? Oh yeah, I love to cook. You know when you chop your vegetables, do you use like a sharp knife? Do you ever like go around a friend's house and they have really crap knives? Yep. <laughs> and when you try and chop through that same vegetable, you have to use more force. And so you end up like nearly chopping your finger off because you're using more force. Right. Yeah. So like in a lot of cases, sometimes a more effective technique is safer because you have to use less force. Ah, uh, yeah. Or deliberate, more intentional. Yeah. So what I found with people is like, couples would be doing a lot of play fighting and stuff and that's fine yeah they're having fun but like someone gets elbowed in the face or someone Mm. like falls off a bed and hurts the shoulder or whatever if you give people techniques which are like more effective they can exert some physical control without using as much force yeah that makes sense yeah it's really fun it's really interesting getting people's perspectives on it yeah absolutely that's very fascinating I'm sure people are into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you can probably imagine, when I first started teaching that, that did not go down particularly well with people. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's because people don't understand and people are, a lot of people are very judgmental. Yeah. uh, Unfortunately. And that's just where things get a bad name. Yeah. It's just, it's sad that that happens, that people have to do that. I know some people, it's just their second nature, first nature. What I find really entertaining is like, it's often the bottom, the person being taken down, who buys the ticket for the top. So it's normally them who's like pushing their partner through the door to like come and learn how to take them down because right. they really like that idea. They want, they want that. Yeah. Similar yeah. with classes, it's it's more common for me when I have couples. It's more common that it'll be the female partner who wants to be tied up, so they buy a ticket for their male partner. Sure. It sometimes happens either way, and obviously it's. Um, there's a lot of women who like to tie guys up as well. Right. But that seems to be the most common scenario, which I find really interesting and completely counter to what most people think is actually happening, which is that like these poor women who know they don't want to be tied up are being somehow like emotionally manipulated into it. Right. Right. This is where people who don't understand that whole community and aspect can completely take it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what gives it the bad rap. A friend who's, she's a porn star and she has done some work with, with other, other, I don't know what you call them, other companies. I don't know what you call them, but like they have to fill out this like massive contract and it has everything in it. You know, you okay with this? Not okay with that. To me, what I think is really amazing is that first of all, that they do that. That's fantastic. But second of all, that the rest of the world is assuming that something negative when they've gone through this entire process of an actual contract yeah yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely they take great um, care yeah 
is is hugely important. I mean, I was doing porn when I was 18 years old. And at the same time, I used to work in a restaurant. Like, I felt so much safer doing porn than I felt working in a restaurant. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because people will walk into a restaurant and be like, well, you just serve in a restaurant, so I'm going to talk to you like crap. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to get drunk aggressive with you. I've never had anyone be aggressive with me during a porn shoot. It's never happened. I've never had someone be disrespectful to me on a porn shoot. And yet the world has this opinion of it. Oh, it's so just, that's very interesting. You see on like, you know, people doing amateur videos or any kind of porn. They have to like make this giant disclaimer in the beginning. This is consensual. And like to say all this stuff because people assume that, that there's no consent. Yeah. Very interesting. One question I wanted to ask you too is, do you, I feel like, well, I won't answer the question. Do you feel like there's a giant difference between countries as far as interest in BDSM goes? As far as who I'm going to ask you to compare are the United States and your country. Okay. That's interesting. I haven't done kink in the United States. So it's hard for me to make a comparison. Sure. I've done a little bit. Um, it seems like we have kind of a shared genealogy. So like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a reasonable amount that's common between us. I'm trying to think if I see any kind of key differences. I think the fact obviously because America's bigger but also more connected, because you have like a conference scene, I think it's easier for things like celebrities in that world to develop than it is mm-hmm. in the UK. Because sure. in the UK, obviously, it's smaller, so therefore, it's less common that you can get hundreds of people into like a conference, a weekend mm. conference, for example. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of, I think that accommodates the this kinky celebrity element a little bit more. Sure. And that's not a bad thing. It's not to say that like any of these particularly right. negative, but it's meant some people like more well known who have sort of uh, broken through in that in that circle. Sure. That makes sense. How often do you do like training sessions? Do you do like more organized ones or do you do more personal ones? Yeah. So I teach privately a good few times a week. When I'm really busy, I can do in like three a day. When it's quiet, a couple of weeks. And then I'll get booked to go teach like big group workshops or I'll sometimes organize them myself if it's a topic I really like to teach. I'll, I'll be doing that like at least once or twice a week. Okay. Very cool. And then I know you do the YouTube. Do you actually create any videos that you sell pre-made? Yeah. Kind of working on that at the moment, actually, because I really like YouTube. But as I think you might be aware, YouTube is not the easiest place to put content. Oh, no. Cut me out. I'm really sorry to hear that. That's Yeah, I... I had like 50,000 views and I were fine with my content for about a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, I'm not okay anymore. I tried again. They deleted my channel right away. I tried a third time, same thing. And I don't even do anything that risque. So to me, it's frustrating because I see all these people talking about sex on YouTube and yet I'm deleted. Yeah, that's really, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Yeah, it's very frustrating. I don't even know if I'll try again because it's like I even put different content up there and a different email and everything. And they still said, nope, you're talking about sex. You're out of here. 
Yeah. In my experiences with them have been quite weird in the sense of so you can make money as you know, you can make money off YouTube by like your videos will get monetized, which means they put an advert in front of your videos. Right. And in some ways that's good because it means that theoretically you can like make a bit of cash off there and therefore it's it sustains itself. Right. But it's completely inconsistent as to what gets demonetized. So what what they say can't have adverts on in front of it because it's too offensive. Yeah. So like I've seen what almost porn hmm? get monetized. Educational conversations get demonetized. Yeah, it makes no sense. And I wonder who's deciding these things. Or is it people are reporting you? Yeah. I don't know. That could be reporting yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, now, I'm not sure if this was the case when you were putting content out. Now, you put a video up and it gets reviewed before it gets released. That's mm. how I, what they make me do now. Okay. And it still is inconsistent. So, for example, I can tie a mannequin with no arms, no legs, very little facial features, and that can be demonetized and because I'm told it's too offensive. But huh. there's videos of me tying, I think that I tie three women in one video because I'm like editing different clips together and mm-hmm. that's completely fine. Yeah. Makes no sense. Yeah, it's really strange. So I kind of don't really rely on that money. I ask people to come to my Patreon yeah. and if they can support me, which is great. Right. But it's a great way of outreaching to people. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, it is. It is. It just has such a wide audience and can reach so many people. So yeah, YouTube is a very powerful tool for someone who creates content. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was not real happy when I lost it. And I thought, how are you okay with me all this time? And all of a sudden, you're not okay with me. I wasn't doing anything different. It was all kind of the same stuff. So I'm like, does it make any sense to me? <laughs> no. Did you lose any of your work? Well, luckily I had all of it saved, my computer, and I had been putting some of my podcast episodes on there. And I pretty much had everything saved, my computer, but it's just hard. Some of the things only worked on YouTube. I have nowhere else to put them. So that's kind of, it's kind of a drawback. And I could try to transform them and put them somewhere, but oh well, I guess you just move on and create new stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's so horrible. I'm really sorry. It's, yeah. it's very frustrating doing platforms. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Do you have any short-term or long-term goals that you'd like to share? I know you just talked about doing your videos pre-made. Anything else yeah, you have thought so, of? Well, at the moment, as part of the channel, I'm, we're showing more negotiation videos. So like before I tie someone up, we'll sit down with the camera and then we'll talk through what we're going to do in the scene. Oh, yeah. Valuable. Yeah, so we're getting a lot of really good feedback for that because they come across like normal conversations as just as, as I would do in normal life. It's a normal conversation, but we're talking about kink. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a bit of what we can do. Yes. Getting a lot of good feedback for that. And it's kind of raised the question of can you teach negotiation? And for me, it's a question of what does good negotiation look like? Is good negotiation better than, say, making a good checklist? Or is it better than being a good reader of people in the moment? Raise some really challenging questions. If you want to train something, how do you do that? Like, what does a good negotiation look like? Because is that different, dependent on the scene you have after it? So at the moment, I'm kind of puzzling about that. Right. So 
try and record as many as possible. Would like to show it to some people who maybe have a better, more informed opinion on things of, like that nature. Sure. Do that. I think that would be helpful for people because they might be alone with their partner and they're drawing a blank. Oh, what do I say? But if they've seen your description or heard it, that might trigger in their brain and be like, okay, yes, this is what I can say. And this is how I should say it yeah. to make it the best possible. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact it doesn't have to be 100% serious or structured as a conversation, I think is quite useful for people as well. Yeah, it's almost like you're got to figure out a way to create an awareness in them, observation techniques or just yeah. an awareness, raising awareness in them. I'm not sure the right word for that, but. Yeah, sometimes I like I like things where I don't know where, where they're going as such. Sure. But it's been really useful to me. That's such a good feedback from YouTube and from Instagram. And I posted these videos. It's like, okay, let's carry on making more. Let's carry on thinking about, like, is this a thing we can help people out with more? Because I also Mm -hmm. don't go down the route of saying, well, my way is the right way. Like, Mm -hmm. here's me doing it correctly. Here's everyone else doing it incorrectly. Because I don't think that at all. Because what I found is that people people approach situations in very different ways. And obviously, I'd love it if everyone could negotiate for a session. But in reality, I know a lot of people don't. Sometimes they can be really happy with that as an outcome. So it's kind of making it appropriate for how different people think, not just how I think, and not just how my friends think. Right. I think it'd be very valuable for people. Absolutely. Well, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to add or say or quickly retouch on? No, thank you very much for having me. It's been great talking to you. Oh, it's been fascinating talking to you. I really enjoyed it. It's really, it was amazing. It was eye-opening and it was really fun. Yeah, really nice chat with you. Thank you very much. And for everyone, I will put all of his links to all of his things down in the podcast notes so that you can click through them. I can actually put links down there so you can actually click right through it. You don't have to copy and paste. So thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you, Ru. Okay. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. I really appreciate you talking with me. Yeah. Take care, Ru. Have a good, great week. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.